Welcome to the Genealogy Gems Podcast. It's a show filled with family history research strategies and techniques, news and entertainment, and inspiration. And I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Genealogy Gems Podcast episode number 202. It is a great day for genealogy, and it's a great day for Shasha's. I tell you, I had so much fun today. I went to the Janie and Jack store. I think that's the name of it, or Jack and Jill or something like that. And I bought Easter outfits for my grandsons. Oh my goodness, they will be decked out in ties and well, a long tie for the older one, Davy, and a bow tie for little Joey. And I have to say, I think I exercised great restraint because I didn't buy all the little girl dresses. Girl dresses? Why would I do that? I have I have two grandsons. Because Vienna's going to have a girl. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I'm pretty sure I told all of you that uh, my oldest daughter, Vienna, Davy and Joey's mommy, is expecting... But now it's official. It is a girl. And if I told you before, well, then just blame it on Shasha Brain, because I'm beside myself excited. And I walked in that store and I'm like, yeah, I want the Oxford shirts and I want the ties and I want the the khakis and stuff, but take me to the girl stuff. But I didn't do it. Uh, She's not due until July. So I have some time to restrain myself. But I tell you, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I raised three daughters and I love, uh, it's been a joy having grandsons. That's a whole new ball game for me. But I tell you, I am really excited and you never know, there might be a Louise in that name. It does go back about eight or nine generations without a break. (laughs) Yes, I've told Vienna that I have told her (laughs) without a break. So I have a feeling I might get lucky on the Louise front. But we're going to get lucky today on the genealogy front, um, because there's a lot of big news to talk about. The news right now buzzing around the genealogy world here at the end of March of 2017 is Ancestry.com rolling out its new genetic communities experience. And those who have their DNA tested there can now explore whether their genetic and their tree data match any of the roughly 300 ancestral migration groups that we talked about last month in episode 201. Well, today, you're going to hear straight from Ancestry.com's chief scientific officer, Catherine Bell. And your DNA guide, of course, Diane Southern, is going to join me right after that conversation to kind of add some of her insights to this exciting development. And then you're going to hear from another great guest. Gosh, we have uh, back-to-back interviews today. Joe Greer will check in from the genealogy reality TV show, Relative Race. It's on BYU TV. And of course, we've packed a lot more in the show before and after those conversations. Uh, You're going to hear a fun listener email about a botched reference to 1950 U.S. Census records in a Stephen King novel. And a big finish today, Sunny Morton joins us to announce the newest Genealogy Gems book club title. She's chosen another winner, and this is an internationally best-selling author that I know that you know, and I know that you love, and um, that is coming up at the towards the end of our show. So let's talk a little bit more about the news. Um, there has been some other news here. MyHeritage.com has a new tool to help you double check your online tree. This is called 
the consistency checker. And if you've got a family tree on myheritage.com, all you have to do is log in. Uh, you'll find this tool under the family tree drop down menu. And according to the website, it says, quote, the new tools scan your family tree and identifies potential mistakes and inconsistencies in your data so that you can quickly make the necessary changes in your tree, improving its overall quality and accuracy, unquote. Well, the tool watches for about three dozen different kinds of errors that show up in family trees, such as things like a child born after a mother's death date, or missing death information, you know, for somebody who was born in 1852, who should have a death by now. It will also spot places that you may have made a data entry error, like putting a woman's married name as her maiden name. And of course, what you entered may be intentional, and uh, the best information that you have. You can always mark a consistency checker problem as something to ignore, and it won't pop up again. But a periodic review of these might really help you identify trouble spots on your tree, where you or somebody else has just made a mistake. And you can update any apparently 165 year old relatives who are still marked as living on your tree in one swoop. Now my heritage has had a tool like this in their free family tree builder software for quite some time. Um, but now they brought it to their online tree users. And I think anybody who uses an online tree can appreciate that effort. And as an FYI, you know, Roots Magic software has does have a similar tool as well. It's called Problem Search. And users can find it under the tools menu. So select problem list to see the different kinds of problems you can have Roots Magic identify for you, like missing information to children born before a parent, things like that. And you can actually choose what age ranges you decide are out of bounds for a new father or mother as well. Again, sometimes, you know, the reality is outside your usual parameters. So you always have the last say. And well, that's kind of what makes genealogy the most interesting hobby, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the show notes for today for this episode 202 has links and screenshots for these features. So you can really check them out. And of course, along with the links and summaries and other things that we're going to talk about all throughout this episode today. So um, we do have lots to cover. So let's head over to the mailbox first and hear from you. of mail is a short one. It's from John Pierre, who writes in with a tip for us. 
He says, Hi, Lisa, you may be well aware of this site. There are so many sites. I had run into a family line in Norway. And in reading the names, you could see some type of pattern in last name combinations. But I wasn't sure what they meant. So here's an explanation on the site that I came across. He shares a specific web page on the website norwayheritage.com. And you can get there. Uh, we'll have a link directly to that page in our show notes. Or you can go to norwayheritage.com. And on their homepage, you can click on the left side where it says those Norwegian names tips for the online researcher. Well, this is a great tip for anybody doing uh, research in Norway. John Pierre, thank you so much for sharing it. It's norwayheritage.com. And we're going to be looking for those Norwegian names tips for the online researcher. And Norwegians aren't the only ones who have naming patterns that can help our family history research. Recently on the Genealogy Gems blog, in an Irish Q&A with expert Kate Ekman, she recommended a link. It's called Irish Naming Traditions. And we also mentioned David Fricassell's new Mexican genealogy guide, now available from Family Tree Magazine. And that talks about traditional Mexican naming patterns. Or you can also try doing a Google search for the name of the country or the ethnic group, plus the words naming traditions or conventions. The Family Search Wiki is also another great resource for these. Try a similar search. You could put Danish and Finnish naming traditions, and of course, that's going to pop right up in your search results. And speaking of searches, and specifically Google searches, I have an item to share with you from Lee, who I met at a conference. She heard me talk about using Google search operators, and here's what she said. Tell me your name. My name is Lee Collins. And what did you just walk up and say to me? <laughs> that, what did I say? You said, I, I opened a, <laughs> whole, opened a whole, whole new world for me because I do Google searches and I have searched long and hard for 10 years trying to find out information about my great grandfather who was Julius Robert Oppenheimer. Oh, wow. Now, he was not the bomb maker, he was a butcher. Yeah. And you can't search Google. Without getting, Without getting the bomb. Mm-hmm. We didn't want the bomb. So now I know I can put all these other things in with these. I didn't even know what a search operation was. Really? No. Okay. Well, there you go. Okay. I have learned so much. It's going to put you in control of yeah. your searching. Exactly. I'm so glad to hear it. Thank, Thank you. you. So Lee was talking specifically about the minus sign search operator in Google, which was a revelation to her. And she talked about needing to find her relative named Oppenheim, who was a butcher. And all her search results brought up the famous Oppenheimer, the bomb maker. So now in her Google searches for the name Oppenheim, she can filter out any web page that has the word bomb. And she can do that just by simply using that minus sign and putting minus bomb, no space in between the two, the minus sign just touches the word bomb. And that will eliminate web pages from the search results that have that word on the page. And that will hopefully eliminate the people that she's not looking for. And if you need a little brush up on Google search skills, we've got you covered on that. Um, you can watch my quick YouTube tutorial. It's called Speak Google's Language. Google Search Operator Basics. Or, of course, you can learn about Google searching in depth in my book, The Genealogist Google Toolbox. And I am very happy that that tip helped Lee. Thank you for sharing, Lee. 
Now, I've got one more listener letter to to share with you today, and this one's a fun one. It's from Debbie in Concord, California. My old stomping ground, actually. We used to live uh, not too far from there. So Debbie writes, I have only recently discovered you and your marvelous work. I attended the Legacy Family Tree webinar you presented on using Google Earth with historic maps, and I stayed up half the night trying out your ideas. What fun. Since then, I have been catching up on your podcast. I've been enjoying Genealogy Gems, and I'm currently enjoying your Family History Genealogy Made Easy podcast. I enjoy listening to you each day while I bicycle our beautiful trails. Oh, the Iron Horse Trail out there is beautiful. She's, uh, how fun. I get to still be on the Iron Horse Trail, even though I don't live out there anymore. (laughs) Thank you for taking me, Debbie. So um, she says, I recently listened to your episode about the census when you were eagerly anticipating the release of the 1940 census. And it has, of course, been released since that time that you record the episode. My husband is well aware of my interest in this topic, and he drew my attention to something in an audiobook that he was enjoying, 112263 by Stephen King. We know that the 1950 census has not yet been released, but this is apparently not something that the main character in this book understands. The character travels back in time to Maine in 1958 and comments on page 134, Quote, I had gone to the library hoping to get a look at the census records. The last national one would have taken place eight years ago, in 1950. And then the story goes on to say, only the census records weren't there. And my husband and I thought, oh, now is he going to explain about the release rules of the records? But no, the character goes on to say, the librarian told me the town council had, for some reason, decided they belonged in City Hall. They've been moved there in 1954, she said. When the character goes to City Hall, he's notified that the 1950 census records were gone because they'd been destroyed when the basement was flooded a few years earlier. (laughs) She says, we chuckled at the idea that the original census records for 1950 would have been available and stored in the basement of the local city hall or even at the local library. I wanted to share this with you because I thought you would enjoy the apparent misconception. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. The things we know as genealogists that we just assume are general knowledge, right? This actually reminds me of one reason I really love the novels of Nathan Dylan Goodwin. Um, whom we've featured here at the Genealogy Gems Book Club. His main character is a forensic genealogist, and he gets those research details right. (laughs) It doesn't make you cringe, you know? You can follow him looking up records on today's big websites, and you know exactly what he's doing. But of course, he's being tracked by a murderer or trying to solve a century-old crime or something at the same time. I am really excited that uh, Nathan has a new novella coming out, which you're going to hear more about later in the show. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But first, Debbie had one more thing to say that I want to share. She says, at the risk of making this note too long, I'll share my favorite trick for getting quotes from audiobooks. Huh, audiobooks. She says, I look up the book on Amazon.com and I click the look inside the book link. Okay, we've seen that, you know, where the in the product page, there's a picture of the book on the upper left hand side, and it'll have a link that says look inside the book. She says most books will offer a search box. In this case, I typed in census, and the applicable pages popped right up. Oh, so when he heard this in the audiobook, she was able to go to amazon.com, 
look up the the paperback or whatever it is and do a search in that search box. And it actually told her what page number that was on. So she could tell us, oh, that's very cool. She says, all the best to you, your daughter, who is working with you now, and all the rest of the team at Genealogy Gems. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for writing in. And I think that's a very cool tip. In fact, I had to go try it to make sure it really worked. And it did. So that's neat. And and if you want to know if a book really covers a particular word or topic or whatever, you know, using that search box inside the, the search, the look inside the book, that's kind of a neat feature. We learn something new every day. Thanks, everybody, for writing in. Terrific. And coming up next, our interview with one of the participants of The Relative Race. From my proud old dad Who knows that we are winning And I'll bet he's glad For more than any other A line from my old mother Bring me a letter From my hometown You've probably found wonderful old photos and documents in your research, but that's not exactly exciting stuff to your kids and your grandkids. The truth is, the non-genealogists in our families aren't captivated by the same things we are. But you can change all that with Animoto.com. Start creating fabulous videos about your family history that they won't be able to resist. And you don't have to have any special skills. With Animoto, you drag and drop your files in, like photos and even video clips. Pick from their professional styles and huge music catalog, and voila, you've got an awesome video. I've made dozens of these, and my family loves them. Hey, my grandson didn't mention the Legos that I gave him for his birthday, but he did thank me for the video that I made. You've got to try this out for yourself. Visit Animoto.com. MyHeritage.com is your home for global genealogy research. The site boasts the most geographically diverse membership in the world, with a strong presence in many European countries. Search for cousin connections worldwide among more than 86 million people on a site that operates in over 40 languages. Powerful proprietary search technologies at MyHeritage.com dig deeper and with greater accuracy into billions of historical records and online trees. This is the only major genealogy website that offers automated hinting on possible matches in digitized historical newspapers. And now MyHeritage offers autosomal DNA testing too. They're jumpstarting their DNA database by inviting members to upload their own and by sponsoring tests in certain parts of the world. I'm looking forward to the geographical diversity I anticipate from their DNA data. So head on over to myheritage.com and expand your global genealogy research. That's myheritage.com. Well, the new season of Relative Race on BYU TV is up and running, and I have uh, one of the members of one of the teams here today. Uh, The team is Team Black, and it's Joe and Madison Greer from Portland, Oregon, and Joe is with us today. Hi, Joe. Hey there. How are you doing? We're doing great. I understand that uh, you've been knee-deep in this season, and I, I know you can't tell us all the the spoilers, but we could talk a little bit about the the whole process, and of course, everybody's first question is always, what prompted you to apply and what was the application process like? Of course. Yeah. So 
Uh, actually, so we had a, a very close friend of ours, uh, Ian Nelson, who was a production photographer on season one. He followed around one of the teams, I think it was actually Red Team, uh, where he was uh, just kind of the, the still photographer uh, that was working with uh, season one. So uh, he lives in Portland, Oregon with us and is a close friend of ours. And he knows our story really, really well. So whenever he got word through social media um, that they were casting for a second season, he came to us and was like, guys, you have to apply. Um, I think it'd be a really good you know, fit uh, for the show. And then like, like I said, him knowing us really well, he just, he knew it could potentially be really, um, life-changing for us. So, uh, Maddie and I, we kind of uh, talked about it for a little bit cause you know, it was never our, you know, goal to be on a right. you know, reality television show, but we felt like this was a really good fit, um, for us and to hopefully have some serious, uh, questions answered and some holes filled. And so we applied, it was like, I think it was actually the last day to apply. So we like made a quick video. Um, that's what, it was pretty easy. We just like filled out some basic, info online but then um i made like a little three minute video uh, explaining kind of our story and why we would be a good fit for the show and uh yeah and then we got we heard back like within a few weeks and uh, the rest was history that's great and your story i know from watching the the video that you did that you were talking about the fact that this is kind of centered around your family your family history and well, tell everybody the story, kind of the background of your mom and kind of what you were hoping to get out of it. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think doing this, uh, a lot of it, um, Madison, like, really wanted to do this for me. Um, she, her and I have two totally different uh, family backgrounds and uh, just even like family upbringings and just Madison's very close to all of her family and knows pretty much everyone in her family. So, but me, on the other hand, I've had a lot of holes in my family. For example, I... I lost my mother to a drunk driving accident that wasn't her fault when I was um, around six years old. Uh, it was just her and I growing up, no father figure. And uh, when I was, uh, yeah, so when I was six years old, my uh, my mother passed away from complications of her injuries. And I was adopted by my aunt and uncle, my mother's sister, uh, where I grew up in Florida. But I never knew who my biological father was. So um, applying for the show and wanting to be on the show, um, it was very exciting because I knew that um, I had the possibility to one find more about my mother's side uh, because again, even though like I had met you know aunts and uncles uh, from my mother's side, there were still a lot of cousins and close aunts and close you know great aunts as we saw on uh, episode two that had aired last week. I met or reconnected with my uh, my great aunt who I had not seen since uh, my mother's accident. So uh, there were things like that, but then also like never meeting my father, not even having any idea who he was or never even meeting anybody on that side of the family. That was a huge part of me wanting to be on the show was uh, trying to crack open the mystery that is my father's side. So, And was is that kind of a DNA story? Is that something that uh, I think in the past, at least, Relative Race has had a focus on DNA? What kind of part does that play in this? Uh, yeah, so we had to submit uh, DNA samples, extensive family tree, tree background, everything I knew about my past, as much as I could help, uh, I had to submit and, and let the professionals take over. And then uh, and then they did the matching. And uh, you'll have to stay tuned and figure out uh, what happens over the rest of the season and who we meet and um, the connections that were made. But uh, yeah, a lot of it was uh, done through um, Ancestry DNA uh, and what they found. Right. I mean, that's just it's, I think it's kind of neat to see a real case study, if you will, even in a reality show where you get a chance to kind of see, yeah, we all do testing, but what do you really do with it? And what could you really find? And I think that's one of the things that 
is a is a great slow reveal on the show. Yeah, because there were some like really radical discoveries uh, that were that were found, and as as each episode uh, airs, and as you keep finding out about our story and the other contestants' stories, um, the, the ancestry um, aspect of the show played a, obviously played a massive, massive role for myself and in Madison, but also the other contestants, uh, meeting family members. So now it is a reality show, and it's a it's a race, sure. it's a contest. So explain yeah. to everybody how the race part of this works. Yeah, so uh, we take off, all uh, four couples take off from Miami, Florida, and we end up in Boston. It's a 10-day excursion. Each day you're meeting a new relative, and each day one of the couples will come in first, and then second, third, and then one of the couples will uh, get in fourth place, which... Uh, if you are a couple that gets in fourth place, you receive a strike. And if you receive three strikes, you are off the show. So it's, yeah, it's, it's so crazy because each, uh, each day you go into the city of your relative. And once you arrive in that city, you have to complete two challenges. The first challenge is a challenge that all four couples have to do. So it's the same challenge for all four couples in their respective uh, cities that they're uh, located in. And the second challenge is a challenge that's very specific and unique to the relative that you're about to meet. So as we saw in the first two episodes, um, uh, episode two that just aired last week, uh, our challenge was um, we had to take an accounting test because uh, my relative that we met uh, had a history in accounting. So we obviously didn't do really well on that challenge, as you saw. Um, so it was really cool. That was one of my favorite parts of the show was that uh, the second challenge was very unique and specific to the relative we were about to meet, which was just uh, crazy and emotional and exciting. So like, oh, I have a an accountant relative. That's that's crazy. And now I can uh, hopefully send them all my uh, my taxes stuff that they take <laughs> uh, on that end. But uh, no, so it's so strange um, in the best way, uh, just the, the way that this show works with it's like it's playing on those um, those emotional uh, notes and also those competitive uh, notes as well. I, I grew up as an athlete, so I'm very competitive. Um, and so it was just, it was, it was a crazy thing, but then also trying to navigate across the country with just a paper map and no, uh, no GPS or no cell phone. And as millennials, that was really tough. Uh, but I think we did a really good job. So, and if you get three strikes, you are uh, off the show. So, wow. So it's kind of a cross of amazing race and who do you think you are and kind of all of it pulling together. And are you staying with relatives? Are you actually staying over in their house? And how, how was that? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, that was a little nerve wracking. Um, so each night when we, uh, make it to our relative's house, we, uh, we meet them, uh, we have dinner, we, uh, sometimes do an activity or uh, go out and see the town where they live in and, uh, just have more discussion. And, uh, a lot of it, you know, we sit down and kind of look at how we're related and, and then we end up staying the night with our relative, which is, um, we never, uh, throughout the show, we never had any crazy experiences, uh, with that. You know, I know some of the other teams have. Uh, or even last last season, you know, uh, the the now blue team that's on the second season, uh, they made their relative, who was the red team last season, uh, sleep in a tent in the backyard. So we had no crazy experiences <laughs> like that. Um, but it was honestly uh, super exciting. Um, uh, that was just a really cool, intimate, and personal way to get to know um, our relatives that we were meeting that night. Uh, instead of just checking into a hotel, um, I really enjoyed that aspect of the show. Uh, was uh, staying with our relative. I thought that was a really unique and, and special way to um, get to know them better. Are all of the relatives that you're interacting with um, are they all on your side, or does Maddie's family fall, fall into this as well? She does. Yeah, she definitely. Uh, oh, okay. She, 
so so it wasn't just me. Um, I will say that the, the majority of them were from uh, my side of the uh, of things. Uh, but Madison going into this, she knew that that was like most likely going to be the case. And um, but there were times where we connected with some of uh, Maddie's uh, family uh, members, which was really special and unique. So yeah. How fun. Well, you know, about 10 years ago, I did a reality TV show back when it was like new stuff. And one of the things that you figure out is that there is your reality TV show experience. And then there's your personal experience. And sometimes the personal experience doesn't really show up on the screen at all. But I'm interested to know what you may have experienced or what the surprises might have been between those two. Between the personal and the... the, Yeah, where you walk away and you look at Maddie and you say, wow, this is what we got out of this and this is how we feel about this. And then you watch the show and you go, whoa, there's a sometimes there's a disconnect because they've got a race going. They've got all these other things to cover. So were there some takeaways? Were there some surprises in um, what you experienced that people might go, oh, wow, I wouldn't have picked up on that you felt that way about it? Or Right, yeah. Well, I I can only answer that to the last two episodes Uh because because we haven't seen any of them. Um, Obviously, like we see them whenever uh, they come out on Sunday nights. So right. Our time we're, we're, we're recalling and reliving all of these um, really special moments. And, you know, going into it, we were kind of like, okay, it's a reality TV show. How are they going to tell the story? How are they going to cut it? Are they going to make us look a certain way? But honestly, we've been uh, really impressed and, and pleased with um, the story, especially our story, uh-huh. um, the black teams. Uh, we've loved it. Uh, I've, you know, teared up the, the two episodes that we've watched, just kind of reliving those uh, really special moments of, of meeting family members. Um, so it's been honestly an incredible experience. And there hasn't been much of a disconnect um on on our aspect uh fr- from it but again we still have a lot of uh, we still have you know still eight more episodes uh, in the in the season left so we'll see what happens um but yeah i think even a lot of it um as i recall that that time because uh, we filmed back in um in september a lot of it was just it was such an indri- it was such a rush and it was so like highly um like just like there was so much happening there was emotionally and physically and uh, competitively and mentally it almost felt like i was like just in this like i almost like blacked out for the whole like week that we were like 10 days that we're filming <laughs> like the best way just because it was so extreme and um i was i was receiving a lot of um closure and a lot of new doors were opening and new uh, relationships were forming that i had never even imagined um so you know, all of that being said, all of this crazy emotional family stuff was happening, but at the same time there were cameras all around and they were filming it. And it was this, ah, man, it was such a radical mix. It's really hard to explain it, honestly, if uh, you haven't experienced it or or, or what happened, but um, for us, it, um, it was really natural for us. Uh, Maddie and I are very comfortable in front of and around cameras were uh, photographers and um, my wife's a fashion blogger. And uh, so we're kind of from that world and we understand a lot of the language and a lot of the things that happened. Um, so, and honestly, most of the times we didn't even realize that the cameras were there. We were just kind of being ourselves and interacting with our family and, and getting to know them. And it was really um, just like transparent and honest and real and um, watching it back uh, over the last two episodes. Uh, it's been honestly super incredible and um, great uh, the way that they, uh, the producers and um, the, the, the film crew, how they told the story. We think they told it really, really well. Well, it's an unusual show in that it's 10 days uh, compressed. I mean, that's a very compressed schedule for a 10 week series. So you're, you're cramming a lot. We're actually probably seeing a lot more of what went on just because you are getting it 
you know, 10 days, 10 episodes, that's, that's great. So what are you looking to in the future? Now we don't, we're not going to go into what sure. happens in the episodes, but um, the question is like, do you think you'll stay in touch with some of the people that you've connected with? Uh, and you don't even have to say who it was, but were there any people that you went, wow, I am so glad this person is now in my life? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, we've um, and even honestly, we've been in, we've still been in contact um, with a, a lot of the family members that we met. So that again, that wrapped up in in uh, at like the second week of September, and that we've still been in contact with several of our relatives. Um, and it's been uh, it's been really special. You know, it's been we've been kind of you know we can't really post you know stuff on social media, you know, on Facebook or. Right. Twitter or Instagram yet until the, those episodes are aired. Um, so it's been kind of like, like these secret conversations we've had, you know, over like text message and stuff and <laughs> feel public with it yet, uh, which is uh, completely reasonable. And we understand that, but so we're excited for each episode to air. And as we can, and I can kind of, cause social media is a huge part of me Madison's life and, mm-hmm. and what we do. And um, so I'm really excited to share that when the time comes after each episode airs, but we've definitely been in, in contact and, uh, I'm hopefully planning some, even some trips uh, in the the coming, this coming year in the summer to, uh, to see some of those family members as well. So it's been super exciting. Well, that's great. Was this your first dipping of your toe into family history in terms of uh, any kind of research? Do you think you'll be doing any research in the future yourself? Uh, yeah, it definitely, uh, it definitely has. I had done um, uh, personal research uh, several years ago, like four or five years ago and trying to find uh, my father. Uh, but got a bunch of dead ends and uh, no closure at all. I, every door kept getting shut. So I just kind of to like, I just took a step back. I was like, okay, well maybe this isn't the time or season uh, that you know I can try to find him. And I just had a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of dead end roads and um, things kept getting uh, shut off. And I, I just was kind of like, okay, you know, I'll just take a step back and maybe there'll be another opportunity in the future. And that opportunity, uh, you know, came to submit a DNA test and to see what happens. And um, again, I can't tell you uh, what happens, so stay tuned. But um, I will say it was one of the most radically life-changing experiences uh, for myself and for for Madison, for us as, as a couple. And I can only imagine what it was like for the other couples as we're watching and seeing uh, the other contestants meet their family members. So this played a huge role in uh, being able to find out more about our, our ancestors and where we came from. And it's super fascinating because I never imagine myself doing anything like this ever. Right. Um, I mean, who, who does really, but, uh, it was really exciting and I look forward to seeing who else I can meet and who else Madison and I can meet in the future. Yeah. Well, everybody listening will have an opportunity to, to continue along the journey with you and with all four teams, because there's lots of different stories happening all at once and lots of different reactions. The show is Relative Race. You can watch it on BYU TV and be sure and head to the show notes and check out the link we've got there, because if you don't know which numbered channel that is on your system, you can find it through the website. Hey, Joe, this was a lot of fun. Congratulations. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing what the rest of what happens. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And go Team Black. Conversations like that just get me fired up for an evening of binge watching genealogy TV shows, doesn't it? Do you have a favorite one? Maybe there's one that you caught a few episodes of and you want to get back to. Well, if you're listening through the Genealogy Gems app, your bonus content for this episode is a PDF summary of eight top genealogy TV shows from the past several years and where you can watch them online. A few of them are free, including Relative Race. 
And you know, if you don't have the Genealogy Gems app yet, what are you waiting for? It's absolutely free in Google Play for Android. Uh, it's just $2.99 in Apple's App Store. And of course, it's available for iPad as well and Windows too. So check that out. That's our bonus content. And it is eight top genealogy TV shows where you can watch them for free online. Coming up next, if you're an Ancestry DNA customer and you're able to pull up your DNA profile on your computer or on the Ancestry mobile app now while you're listening, you might want to because we're about to hear what's new and exciting there. And if you're not an Ancestry DNA customer, you can still see what we're talking about in the demo video that you'll find in the show notes. I'm a firm believer in taking responsibility for the life and future of my genealogy data. So instead of just uploading my information only onto someone else's genealogy website, I enter it into my master database on my computer into the premier genealogy software program. It's Roots Magic at rootsmagic.com. Genealogy software is Roots Magic's primary focus. It's not just a sideline. And I continue to be really impressed by their free online training videos and all the rich features they add. And here's the latest. Not only can you import a GEDCOM file from another program, but now with the release of RitzMagic 7.1, you can directly import any Family Tree Maker file with everything attached. That's everything attached. In fact, RootsMagic can import a bigger variety of older Family Tree Maker files than any single version of Family Tree Maker itself. It's just one more way that RootsMagic has been reaching out to the genealogy community and helping them care for their most precious data, their Family Tree. And there's even more to look forward to this year because Roots Magic has announced an agreement with Ancestry. And later this year, they're going to be able to synchronize your family tree with Ancestry the same way that Family Tree Maker did. There's never been a better time to try or switch to Roots Magic. Head to RootsMagic.com and download the free Roots Magic Essentials today. You're going to love it. That's RootsMagic.com. You know, now that I've moved to Texas and what they lovingly call Tornado Alley, I'm more aware than ever that if anything ever happened to my genealogy files, I would be devastated. And boy, have my files expanded since I started this research at the ripe old age of eight years old. As genealogists, we don't just have paper files anymore, but we also have digital files like our genealogy database and precious old photos that we've spent hours scanning. No matter where we upload our family tree or anything else relating to our family history on the web, the responsibility for the total safety and security of our files lies with us. That's why I'm so proud to announce that Backblaze is now the official backup of Lisa Louise Cook and Genealogy Gems. For the past few years, I've been researching and I've been test driving backup services and hands down, Backblaze is my choice. It's certainly the easiest service to use. And I love their free app that allows me to access all my files on my smartphone and my tablet. Plus, it backs up everything, including my video files. Yikes, I didn't realize before looking at Backblaze that other services skip over backing up videos. So don't wait another day to ensure that all your files are safe and secure. 
back them up like I do with Backblaze. Head to backblaze.com slash Lisa and scroll down. You'll see my smiling face there and a great offer. Just 50 bucks for a year's peace of mind and the best cloud backup around. Go to backblaze.com slash Lisa. There's no standing still when it comes to genetic genealogy. So I've invited Catherine Ball. She's the Chief Scientific Officer at Ancestry to join me on today's podcast to discuss one of the newest initiatives. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I know there's been a lot going on. DNA just keeps moving every day. There's something new popping up. And you were involved in a study that I want to have you kind of give us some background on because this lays the groundwork for some new things that you're doing at Ancestry. Uh, Tell us about the study that you published at Nature Communications and what was the goal of the study and what were you discovering through this? Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about this. We've been very excited about this paper at Ancestry. And um, we have a, a team of geneticists here running the Ancestry DNA project. And one of the things we were curious about is whether you could see different patterns of genetics within the United States or whether indeed we were the, we are the melting pot that we've all described. And so we were able with this giant database of DNA samples to go through it and look for patterns of relatedness within the United States. And that's exactly what we saw. So what we did is we find, um, if you take an ancestry DNA test, we identify all your potential relatives near and distant in our database, and we do that for everybody. And you can imagine if you look at all the connections between all the different people in the ancestry DNA database, it would be a, a giant like network, almost like a hairball. Everybody's all connected to each other. But within this network, you can find little subtangles that are more closely related to each other than others. And it's those little subgroups, these little subnetworks that we're looking at. And you can find these tightly related, almost genetic communities is what we call them. Uh, and then find out more about those people by looking at their family traits. And that's exactly what we did. We found in this paper over 60 genetic communities within the United States that are more closely related to each other than they are related to their neighbors. How interesting. So you're taking the test results from the DNA test, and I assume people kind of opt in and say, yep, I'll be part of this study, and they have trees on your website. Mm -hmm. So it's a melding of the two pieces of information, the results and the work that they've already done on their trees. How many communities did this end up kind of initially uncovering? In our paper, we used, uh, as you referred to, um, people who consented to participate in a research project. And we don't use people who don't consent to join the research project. The the people um, who are part of these genetic communities, the genetic communities are defined only by DNA and DNA alone. And for those people in a particular community, if they have built a family tree, we can look at those family trees in the in the past and look for commonalities. So if you have you know five thousand people in a particular community and if half of them have family trees and you go back in the eighteen hundreds, you can see that of those half of people's family trees they'll have 
each of us dozens of ancestors in the 1800s, half of, so it's a lot of information in there that you can mine for commonalities. And with that, we can find, kind of work backwards through a family tree and sort of work backwards to find out where groups of people migrated from. Wow, and really tying that to the markers, the results that we're getting in our test results. Does this then lead to this genetic communities that uh, your CEO was talking about at RootStack? That is exactly what's uh, the basis of the genetic community product feature that Tim Sullivan spoke about at RootStack. We're really excited about bringing this to market. So what's this going to mean for the average user who perhaps has done their testing? I'm assuming that having your own testing done is going to help you benefit more, or is that not the case? Does it matter if you've been tested to be able to take advantage of the information that you're gleaning from genetic communities? You absolutely have to participate in ancestry DNA uh, tests in order to participate in this genetic communities, because otherwise we don't know who you're related to, right? So if you're using your genetic relationship to tie you into one or more of these different communities, and as the, the number of people in the database grow and the number of connections we all have with each other multiply, then we'll be able to tie people into more and more and more different genetic communities that help them understand the stories behind their ancestry. So then, you know, my question as a novice comes from, like you said, there's dozens of couples in our family tree. As you go mm-hmm. further back, yep. autosomal testing is going to go across the spectrum. You identify a community. Can you at this point make a connection in my tree to say, we believe not only are you part of this community, but it's attached to these people on your tree so that you're really making a connection between specifically which ancestors are we talking about? You can, right? If, um, if I say, for example, um, I'll give an example from my community. I'm part of a a Norwegian community that goes back to a, a kind of specific part of Norway at a specific time and place. And indeed, my great-great-grandmother emigrated from that place to come to Iowa, of all places. But um, you can see that. You can see that I had an ancestor, boom, right there at that time when other members of the genetic community were living in that part of Norway. It's really, it really quite remarkable. Yes, that sounds very remarkable. And I, I think this seems like it's taking the next step from when we first got our autosomal test through Ancestry. We get results. We try to match up with people who also have trees. Of course, lots of people don't have trees. They just did the test. They want to see what their ethnic background is, and that's where they leave it. You're really starting to then take that next leap into the connection with our family history and actually tying it into specific people. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And I think it's what we're really hoping is that it brings really novel and exciting insights to people who are dedicated genealogists. But in addition, it brings an interesting and exciting little piece of information to somebody who isn't a dedicated genealogist, someone who just perhaps maybe wanted an ethnicity test, but now can get a a quick insight into their family history, even with the the migration of where somebody might have come. And I can't imagine that that's not going to cause most people to get bitten by the bug. Yeah. So somebody who has taken this test and they have not built a tree yet, this then becomes an incentive, right? Because there's not a lot they can do to benefit from this unless they do start building the tree. 
No, absolutely. You can benefit from this, whether you have a tree or not. You need a DNA test. You might need to do some research to confirm or find out who was there. So, for example, if I didn't have a family tree, I would still get that genetic community of one small part of Norway. It would at least give me a place to start looking to find out who in my family tree came from that area. Great. So it's going to have that initial breadcrumb trail that's out there, and then they can pursue. Exactly. There's a big breadcrumb right there for you. Exactly. Exactly. Now, we know that lots of people have at some point in some branch, it's almost inevitable, you make a mistake. Right, you either tie Absolutely. into the wrong tree, or or you have an adoption, or an out of wedlock event, or something that just deviates from the paper trail. And of course, there's wonderful benefits from being able to see other people's trees, but there's also the challenge that many many people continue to propagate and to copy the errors they might be finding. How is that affecting your tool and the data? One of the things that I uh, like about using both genetics and the family trees is that the the error will be different, right? So uh, I'm a I'm a scientist. I love data. I, the more data, the better, because noise tends to be random. So we tend to make the same, you know, mistakes in a family tree are not generally going to be the same ones over and over and over again. But instead, will be a little bit random. People get birth dates wrong. They might copy the wrong ancestor. DNA, on the other hand, does not have that error. So these genetic communities are based on real relationships, on shared genetics. And then if we're looking at you know, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of ancestors at different time points through history, the noise is going to get lost in the signal. The signal should be very, very strong because we're looking at a lot of information. So big data is usually the solution to small errors. Ah, very interesting. So it actually could improve the situation of maybe some of the data that's wrong on trees getting kind of passed around. You've got this secondary place to look to kind of compare it and say, wow, this isn't matching up. That's a clue that maybe exactly. I'm off and the mark. One of the, exactly. And there are a couple of really great reasons to start these genetic communities only with the DNA information. The first is that it helps people who don't have family trees. And the second is that if there are errors or biases in a particular family tree or sets of family trees, it's not going to affect the formation of that genetic community because it was formed only on the basis of DNA. Fascinating. So what's the time frame of the rollout and what can we expect to see? Does this hit everybody's dashboard at the same time at Ancestry or is it rolled out in waves? I think it'll be uh, rolled out in, in small waves to start off with through some beta testing to make sure that we're uh, communicating these in a way that uh, is you know, understood by our consumers and they're, they're, getting, they're getting the point. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things we try really, really hard to do It's it's an interesting challenge to describe pretty complicated science in, in a way that's compelling and exciting to a regular person who hasn't spent ridiculous numbers of years in school. Yeah. <laughs> so we're hoping you can skip over the school part and be just excited about it as I am. Absolutely. Who are your key genealogists there at Ancestry? That I know you're the scientific officer. Do you have somebody that, that's kind of your right arm in terms of the, the family tree side of things and putting this together? 
I think the, the person I lean on the most when I have uh, questions with family trees would be uh, Jennifer Utley, to be perfectly honest. She's my go-to person. Excellent. Great. We're familiar with her. So time frame, are we looking at, I think when we were at Roots Tech, they were saying like in a month or so, but like you said, it's coming out in small waves. So mm-hmm. are we just kind of looking at this throughout 2017? Oh, I hope, I hope it gets out there well before the end of the year. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm hoping it, it gets out to you and to most people very, very soon. I'm re- very excited about this. Awesome. We just want to make sure we're, we're doing it right. So everybody is as happy with it as we are. Exactly. And my final question is, I know that you're getting just loads of DNA tests every single day. I mean, it's just yeah. amazing how it's taken off. <laughs> um, how are you going to keep this updated with communities? Is this something where that can come in real time? Or are you going to have to do like periodic bring in the next batch? How will that work behind the scenes? <laughs> <laughs> Behind the scenes, let me assure you, it is a ridiculous amount of work. Yeah, and um, it, it's a lot of data and setting up the experiments to recalculate all of these different genetic communities is um, it's a ton of effort, and but it's also a lot of fun. So we're already in the R and D world, working on the next generation and setting up experiments to accommodate the generation after that. Right. It's it's really fun, and it's going to be a, an interesting challenge to figure out how to roll all these different uh, pieces of information out to our consumers. Yeah, I imagine. It's really cool to me that in a field like genealogy that's just been around forever, and for quite a while, it seemed like it was fairly stagnant. It was kind of like, this is what we have, and this is what it is. And technology has just blown the doors off of it. And uh, that's just tenfold, I think, in the DNA arena. So it's exciting to know that we, with the first wave of this, will get a glimpse at some new, like you say, huge breadcrumbs, but also that we can look forward to so much more data as it grows and your expertise in working with it. And I just can imagine the size of the project, but how exciting that they've got a dedicated person uh, in you to to move it forward because uh, we're all excited to see what's going to happen. It's been a huge privilege. It really, just to see how our work affects our understanding of the history of our country mm-hmm. and understanding that how impactful it is to real people that we talk to every day. It's been a thrill and very humbling. Well, Catherine, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us here on the show and just give us a first glimpse at this. We will look forward to seeing what's coming in the future. Thanks so much. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Lisa, thanks so much for sharing that interview with Kathy Ball from the Ancestry DNA scientific team. I do think that is one of Ancestry DNA's strengths is one, their scientific team, and two, that their scientific team is willing to communicate with us and to tell us kind of what they have in the works and uh, what's going on behind the scenes a little bit at least. Uh, something that I really like that Kathy mentioned was how this is just the beginning. And I think when I look at the uh, genetic communities tool, I-, I feel the same way. I feel like I can't believe that at this point, with only 2 million people in the database, they were able to develop 300 genetic communities. That is overwhelming and fantastic. And it just 
makes you think, man, when they add the other two million that they've already collected into this tool, uh, we're going to be able to see, you know, even more of these genetic communities. And it's it's a very exciting time to be a part of genetic genealogy, and I think it's a very hopeful time to be a part of genetic genealogy. Now, the genetic communities tool has launched and many of you maybe are experiencing it for the first time. I did have a chance to look over mine for several weeks and um, it was it was fascinating. It was interesting. Um, but I think the, the biggest thing I feel is just hope and excitement in the future as these tools continue to advance our knowledge and help us better understand our family history. And I think also they're providing as you mentioned, Lisa, and as Kathy confirmed, that this is something that will excite and entice anyone, even people who don't yet know about their family history. And I do think it will encourage others to delve in and figure out who was this ancestor that led you to this place. And I, I think just has so many exciting possibilities. So I'm looking forward to the future. And of course, I'll be right here. the Genealogy Gems Book Club Guru. Today, I'll announce our new featured book and author, but first, I have a couple of quick book club updates. As we mentioned in the premium podcast last month, the past book club title, Everyone Brave is Forgiven by Chris Cleave, is now available in paperback, making it even more affordable. This is still one of my most memorable book club books and interviews. A year after reading it, I still feel like an eyewitness to the London Blitz, the bombing of Malta, and a very special romance by the most unlikely heroes. Also new for your bookshelves is a novella called The Missing Man, the newest installment in the Forensic Genealogist Mystery Series from Nathan Dillon Goodwin. We featured his book, The Lost Ancestor, from that series. Do you remember that one? With the lovable and danger-attracting detective of the past, Morton Ferrier. Nathan says this book is set entirely in America and is about Morton's quest to find his father. I just got my copy in the mail today, and I know what I'll be doing tonight after the kids go to bed. Now on to an email from Richard in Sacramento, California. He's a Genealogy Gems Premium member, and he says, I've been a listener of the Genealogy Gems podcast since episode one, and still listen to each of the regular episodes and the Family Tree Magazine podcast, too. And then he recommends a novel for us called The Whole Town's Talking by internationally best-selling author Fanny Flagg. This is what he writes. It covers a Swedish immigrant, family, and neighbors, including a cemetery on the hill where the folks talk to each other, in Missouri, from late 1880s through the decades. When I finished, I was impressed, particularly by the time span, the family relations, and the discussions as folks entered the cemetery and the town changed. I have read all of her books. Each tends to focus on local folks in a southern community. And then he concludes by saying, actually, lots of her books would be valuable reads for the Genealogy Gems Book Club. 
Well, Richard, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm a longtime fan of Fanny Flagg myself. So I'm pleased to tell Richard and all of you that our new book is The Whole Town's Talking by Fanny Flagg, and the immortal storyteller herself, whom you may best know as the novelist and screenwriter behind the hit movie Fried Green Tomatoes, will join us on the podcast in two months. So go read The Whole Town's Talking, a multi-generational novel that begins with a Swedish immigrant planting roots in the American Midwest and luring settlers and a mail-order bride to the town he starts. As characters die, they take up residency in the local cemetery, as Richard mentioned, and they continue to comment on their descendants and on changes in the town, as you might imagine your own great-grandparents doing today. And if you finish that book, I can't resist recommending Fanny's other recent novel, The All-Girl Filling Station's Last Reunion, which we'll also touch on in my interview with her. The main character chases a huge family secret, which I'll tell you more about over the next couple of months. See the show notes for these book titles. I hope you enjoy Miss Fanny Flagg as much as Richard and I do. Today, we're going to close with a quick spotlight on one of the most important events in the history of U.S. territorial expansion. Can you guess what it is? Here's a hint. Four cents an acre. So while you're guessing, I want to thank my production team, Sonny Morton, the content editor for this episode, Fiona Thomas, our associate producer and audio editor, Lacey Cook, who moves mountains behind the scenes and is your full-time happiness manager. Now, did you guess? Hmm. Here it comes. Profile America, Sunday, April 30th. This is the anniversary of perhaps the greatest real estate deal in American history, one that doubled the size of the U.S. and put the nation in position to become a world power. The year was 1803, and the deal was the Louisiana Purchase. The young U.S. under President Thomas Jefferson bought nearly 830,000 square miles from France at the cost of four cents an acre. The land stretched from the Mississippi River to the Rocky Mountains and from the Gulf of Mexico to the Canadian border. The sale encompassed all or parts of 14 of today's states. Appropriately enough, Louisiana became a state on this date in 1812. At the time, just 77,000 people lived there. Now, Louisiana is home to nearly 4.7 million. You can find more facts about America from the U.S. Census Bureau online at census.gov. Well, that's it for Genealogy Gems podcast episode 202. Hey, why wait a month for another episode 203? Become a Genealogy Gems premium member today and you'll be in time to catch premium episode 146. It's coming in later this month in April. And you have access to all 145 previous podcast episodes. So you'll have lots of listening to do. But for now, thank you so much for listening, friend. I'll talk to you soon.